What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Be The Number Pod. I am T-Off Sports, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Josephine Chang. If you aren't doing so already, please give our podcast a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Be The Number Pod. And you can find us weekly on the Golf WRX radio channel on both iTunes and YouTube. Josephine, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. Um, having a great Monday, especially after that phenomenal playoff yesterday. Um, I mean, six people in a playoff. It's always fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to get seven and set history there with Russell Henley. But it was a very good tournament. Anytime you have a playoff of that size, it makes for good television. I think as far as my week went from a betting perspective, I had outrights on Adam Scott, Kevin Kisner. So I did get a little bit back there. Kevin Na and Justin Rose, the big one for me would have been Kevin Na if he could have pulled it off. We talked about him a little bit on the show last week. And I mentioned Kevin Kisner and all the reasons why I liked him. And, and I think, you know, all those reasons came into play. The putter got hot late. He made a run at it and he got very fortunate. Adam Scott should have won that tournament. He should have never missed that three and a half foot birdie putt. And Unfortunately for me, that would have been a bigger payout. The ticket I had on Kisner was a little bit smaller, but you know, it is what it is with it. I'm always happy to walk away with a winning week with it. And I think it was a good tournament, all things considered. Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, the first tournament that I decided to like try and and put a lineup together. (laughs) And so I I texted you like immediately after, I mean, it was a $5 buy-in and it was, I like won $8 and I was like, I like immediately texted you and I was like, oh my gosh, look. So I just had fun with it. Well, it's good. I mean, and that's like the one thing that we're trying to do on this show. I mean, I know there's a lot of people that are just getting into the DFS side of things and just getting into the betting world. And we're trying to provide information for everybody and try to make it as easy and smooth of a transition process as possible. So I was happy that you were able to win $8 in that contest and you got going on it. And I think it's something that if you're not doing so already, you know, download DraftKings, deposit some money, try to follow along with the show. As I always say, you can use my model. You can make a copy of it and try to put your weights in for what you think with it. It's a real easy process to do. I release it every single week on Twitter for free. So be sure to do that if you're not doing it already. But let's move over to the Northern Trust. Liberty National Golf Club, 7,387 yards. It's a par 71 bent grass greens. Top 125 qualifiers are here, minus Louis Oosthuizen. And we will get the top 65 in ties making the cut and top 70 in points will advance to the BMW Championship. You know, we don't have a ton of course data to look at. Last PGA event was played in 2019 here. We also had the President's Cup in 2017. But when you looked at this lengthy par 71, what did you find from a statistical perspective that you did weigh into your model? Yeah, so I was trying to look at this course and trying to find anything that might make it stand out, like maybe a certain stat, like maybe like, putting or whatever it would be, but I couldn't really, I felt like this course seemed to favor someone who just has an overall strong game. And so this week I kind of went off of, um, kind of strokes gain total, um, in general from like the last 24 rounds. Um, I looked at strokes gain total bent and also with wind just because they're playing off of water. So that's usually going to come into play. Um, and then just looking at it, I noticed that the fairways are a little narrower than um, other PGA tournaments, but not super crazy. But I always weigh a little bit of driving accuracy in, as well as the fact that these greens seem to be a little on the smaller side as well. And so hitting a fairway, setting yourself up for a good approach shot always helps with smaller greens. And the thing I did weigh more heavy here is just stand save percentage. 
and being a good bunker player simply because I feel like a majority of the defense of this course, if it's not water, it's bunkers. So that weighed a little bit in as well. Other than that, um, I guess proximity is this time around being a longer course. Um, there's a lot more of approaches 200 yards and out. And so I weighed that a little bit as well. But I think overall, I'm looking for just a golfer coming into this tournament, having played some solid golf and ready to just continue that trend. Yeah. And I think that's a, all of what you just said is generally what I did also, you know, for me, I threw out any data pre 2013 from this event players voiced dissatisfaction after the 2009 iteration of it. It caused the course to undergo significant changes to the greens, fairways, and sand traps. The newer version of Liberty National has 90 bunkers and 13 water hazards, but some of the older pitfalls can still be found. As you mentioned, these fairways are on the relatively, I guess I would say wide side of things. I know you said narrow side of things. They're kind of in the middle of it though. Like I think the way that I see it is, if you miss the fairway, there's thick fescue, there's nasty, you know, bluegrass rough that's going to come into play on wayward drives. You are going to have to locate it. I do think there's enough room that you can find it, but you can't just go spraying the ball everywhere. Uh, greens are on the tricky and fast side of things. They feature narrow landing zones. That places GIR percentage below tour average by 4%. Wind can play a factor because as you mentioned, the course sits on a coastal line and long iron play will be at a premium because of the tiny surfaces. So I started my model with 25% on a weighted tee to green category that I made. Kind of what you're saying. I'm just looking for well-rounded players. As I mentioned, data is limited, but I didn't see a heavy case to be made for putting. Birdie putts from zero to five feet are nearly 6% higher here, which means golfers are sticking their second shots and strokes gain off the tee was two and a half percent more impactful than an average week. Uh, because of that and where birdie putts are being made, I play 17 and a half percent on weighted proximity. 82% of irons come from either 100 to 150 yards or 175 plus with over 52% coming from over that 175 yard range. Top 10 of that recalculation for me gave me Casey, Morikawa, Leishman, DeChambeau, Justin Thomas, Victor Hovland, Terrell Hatton, Ryan Palmer, Matthew Wolf, and Tom Hoagie. I did 17.5% on a weighted par four. There's five par fours here that measure between 400 and 450 to 500 yards and are the most difficult at the track. I miss mix some of that data in with bogey avoidance and par four scoring average. I have 10% on par five birdie or better percentage. Two are reachable and two shots. This was one of the few venues that had par four scoring to be more important, but players still get three of their best scoring chances here daily. I have 10% on strokes gain total on bent plus strokes gain total in moderate to severe wind. Wind doesn't look to be a heavy factor early, but the coastal gusts, as we both mentioned, are going to be relevant. The bent grass portion adds to the course fit. I have sand safe percentage for 10%. This is just because there's 90 plus bunkers at the venue. And then I wrapped it up with 10% on ball striking. Distance is four yards above average here. Accuracy is five and a half percent above tour average, but you still need to find fairways because of the thick fescue. And then I took my total driving number and mixed it with the GIR percentage. So Essentially, I'm looking for well-rounded players, golfers that can excel in tee to green, can hit fairways, have a little bit of distance, and can sal salvage scores on these difficult par fours. So I think based off of what you just said, and it's the way I'm viewing it too, I'm just looking for guys that are going to like not make as many mistakes. I think that any week that putting doesn't come as much into play, some of these tee to green stalwarts 
are always the guys that are going to pop up for me with it. But let's move into the $10,000 range and get to the meat and potatoes of what we're here for this week. And I'll run through these one by one to start and I'll kick it over to you after I'm done. But it's led off by John Rom at $11,500. You know, Rom's been spectacular when he's teed it up recently, but it will be the first time we've seen him in action since having to withdraw from the Olympics after testing positive for COVID-19 a second time. Rom is second in my model and did go out and win the U.S. Open after pulling out of the Memorial a week and a half before that event. But it's been about a month since we've seen him in action. I think statistically my numbers really like him, and I do think his upside could get a little capped if he comes out rusty, especially when you have to pay the highest toll on the board. Um, that would be my one concern with him. We have Dustin Johnson at 11,000. I have a feeling Dustin's going to be a trendy sleeper pick that still goes somewhat under the radar because of the hefty price tag. I've been a proponent that he's playing better than the results have indicated, but I do worry a little about what happens at this particular setup. Johnson is nearly six feet off of his 2018 totals in proximity from 175 yards and over, and Liberty National features 52% of irons coming from that range. There's always a chance he catches fire with his putter. He's been historically decent on bet grass greens. Um, I'm going to be underweight, though. I know that he's been a little bit better from that 175-yard distance, but I need to see a little bit more before I want to jump in as the second highest priced option on the board. And it's not like we're getting an ownership that's going to be, you know, three, four, 5% where we can really take a shot. We have Jordan Spieth at 10,800. I think Spieth remains one of the safer cash game options on the board and his struggles off the tee have been negated recently as he grades 46 ranking spots higher in this field over his last 24 rounds in my model, comparing into the long-term data. And then I will wrap it up here before we get to the last couple players. We have Xander Shifley at 10,600. Uh, course fit seems to be good, although I typically prefer a par 72 for just his ability to play on par fives with it. So I think he's playable in GPPs as a contrarian choice, but there is some risk involved. So of Rom, Dustin, Spieth, and Xander, anybody in that range that sticks out to you? Anybody that you do not like? So I... Truthfully, if you had thrown it to me first, I was just going to say, are these ones at the top, like Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth, like, would you say that they're worth it with, with their price tag? I just thought that they're they're a little on the pricey side of things. Um, and I mean, I I understand why John Rahm's really popular. I understand why he's the most expensive, um, but that's definitely going to be going to affect who you can choose for the rest of your lineup at 11,500. Um, but I don't really have anything bad to say about him. The only person really, I was kind of worried about Jordan Spieth um, simply because just like, as you said, off the tees kind of been just a little all over the place. And obviously with this fescue and everything, it might lead to some big numbers or it might cause him to just have to be phenomenal, like around the greens and everything. And I think that's just kind of a, kind of a, hard to say what's going to happen off the tee with him. So I was a little iffy on picking him, but. I mean, out of those four, I didn't really have much else to say. I mean, I like Rom, but he's so expensive. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, I guess the thing is, like, I think Dustin is too expensive at the price tag. I agree with you there. Uh, Jordan Spieth at 10800 like, that's baking in everything that he's done recently. It's like the Open Championship. It's his win a little bit before that. It's all the good form that he's bringing into it. I, I think from an overall safety perspective. I do like him. Like I don't have a problem with anybody rushing to play him in a cash game. And I do think he has upside to him, but it is an expensive price tag with it. I mean, currently right now we are looking at about 17% ownership. So it's not like you're getting a reduction on him. And I guess that would be 
one of my concerns where I do think there are guys below him that have similar upside, if not more upside potentially with it. So uh, I don't have a problem there. And yeah, I mean, with Xander, he's kind of there. I, I think that if you tell me he's less than 5% owned, I would start getting very intrigued with it. And he's kind of trending in that direction right now. But the problem is, is there are some guys that I like in this range. And there's some guys I like a little bit lower that not necessarily looking to like rush up there and be where I want to, you know, be overly or way overly exposed with it, but it's not going to take much to get over the threshold that it's going to be. But let's move on to the last three players in this range. And I'll let you start off this range with it. So we have Colin Morikawa at 10,400. Brooks Kepka at 10,200 and Rory McIlroy at 10,000. What are your thoughts about these three? Yeah. So, I mean, my model likes everyone in this range. Um, but of course I'm, I'm just going to highlight Morikawa again, just simply because, um, I mean, we know that he's a phenomenal, um, iron player and that he's been playing really solid golf. So, I mean, he's got high green and regulation percentages combined with small greens. I mean, that's something that you really want to look for. I feel like on this course, um, and then I didn't really have anything to say about Brooks Kepka, like negative or positive. I know that he's in a good place. I know that he's doing all right, but I wanted really to focus kind of on Rory. Like I, I don't know, he's at 10,000. He is at 15% owned already, um, but I just like where his game is trending in terms of like his ball striking. And I, if I remember correctly, it's his putting that's really getting him into trouble right now, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. So I just think that just with his ball striking, he can put himself in good position. They're smaller greens, so I feel like that might negate a little bit of his putting struggles. I mean, they are really fast greens here, but I think if he can figure that out and just put it together, I, I feel like he can be a solid contender here. They're fast greens, but because they are so small, we're not looking at like a substantial three-putt percentage with it. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that's worth noting. And if the ball striking remains the way it is, you kind of have to like the course fit for him. So if I look at these three players, I'll start with Morikawa at the top. I think he probably possesses the best ceiling floor combination that we're looking for of this group. It's going to be very popular. That's the one downside of it. But he's first in my model for GPPs and second in safety. So that's a, a cash game perspective there. He also ranks top 13 in six of the seven stats I used, including being first or second in T to green, strokes gain total on bent or wind weighted par four, ball striking and weighted proximity. So I just think he's a really good play. I think he's a good course fit. And I think anytime you look at a T to green metric with it, he's always one of the better players in the world. Like if you remove putting from the equation, he's substantially above everybody else with the way he's been playing recently. So I like Morikawa, um, Brooks Kepka at 10,200. This is probably my preferred uh, tournament play in mass entry contests. I'd rather go to him than Dustin. I, I didn't really have any red flags when I was looking at him. He should be around or under 10% owned, and he grades as one of the better contrarian values I can find. You know, this is one of the reasons why I run my data with longer term sample size than most people do. The recent form doesn't look that good on paper, or at least not what you would think. But if you really break it down, he's gained T to green in nine of his last 10, off the T in his last 12, with his irons in 7 of 10 and around the green in 9 of 13. The WGC performance that he put together was so bad that it's making everything look worse on it. So I think Kepka, you know, and we always, you know, Kepka's a big game hunter. He wins the majors. He does all uh, everything in the big tournament. 
Well, there's $15 million on the line if he can win the FedEx Cup playoffs. So I think we're going to get the best version of Kepka here. I think that he's the guy that I will be going to to be a little bit contrarian in these mass entry tournaments. And then the same can generally be said for Rory at 10,000. As you mentioned, the ball striking has been a phenomenal for a few months now. And it's really just the putter that needs to pick up. I think if he can put together a neutral performance on the greens, he has a chance to win this tournament. And I, I think the ownership... 15% and it was even higher than that earlier today. I was like hovering around 20%, but I don't have a problem with 15%. I do have more of a problem if it starts getting into the range of like 20, 25, 30% and we're like the top person on the board with it. But I think Morikawa and Spieth for cash would probably be my preferred options. I like Brooks for GPPs, a little bit of Rory sprinkled into the mix, depending on where that ownership goes. And uh, I'll be monitoring that. And then Xander will be another person I'll be looking at. And then I am probably going to be one of the ones that if Dustin beats me, he beats me with it. Um, you know, even if he does what he's capable of doing and he gives you a top 10 finish here, he's still the second highest price guy. I think we can get some of that, you know, leverage in different spots than necessarily going straight up to the top and spending $11,000 with him. But uh, let's move forward into the $9,000 range. And uh, I want to talk about the three guys up top here of Justin Thomas, 9,800, Bryson DeChambeau, 9,600, and Victor Hovland, 9,500. So I will let you start this range with any leans or thoughts that you have with this group. So with these three, I really just looked at Bryson and I was a little confused. So my model didn't like him too much just with the way I weighted stats. Um, and I just feel like, like his game's in an okay place. And I was just wondering, do you think that the fact that he seems to be falling apart on Sundays, like, do you think that plays a factor into how you view him for this week? Um, well, it's funny you ask that question because I'm <laughs> going to ask you a similar question when we get down the board in a second to somebody else. Um, you know what? Let's, let's actually talk about it now. So I was going to talk about Russell Henley because Russell Henley that was a terrible performance on Sunday. He had that tournament one. He was about to go wire to wire and he fell apart. And, you know, I have an athletic background. I played baseball and tennis at a high level. So like, I understand what it takes, you know, to try to close things out. And when you're not able to do it, how it affects you mentally with it. And I guess the answer to it is that every person is different. I would love to hear your opinion on it, being a golfer and somebody that's actually been in the sport with it. Um, my opinion of it is that every person's different. I, I think a guy like Bryson right now is kind of trending in the wrong direction with the media and, and the whole Brooks debacle that he has going on and the fans and, and it's not going well, but Bryson's upside is so high compared to maybe anybody else in the world. He might be the highest upside play that you can find. So I'm not, not going to play Bryson because of this reason, but sure. I mean, I think that that's maybe the case to be made that every single Sunday keeps going bad for him. And at some point it starts weighing negatively. Yeah, absolutely. Like the reason I asked is just because I have been like sleeping on the lead a couple of times going to, in a few uh, tournaments and the most, I guess I can say kind of recent <laughs> was my junior year in college. I held the lead going into the last day and just, I couldn't, I couldn't finish it. I mean, I still ended up second, but it just kind of took a toll. I was like, man, that, that hurt. And so I can't imagine to just kind of keep going through that again and again. I mean, at one point you're going to have to think, man, they're going to get tired of it and they're going to figure it out. But I guess golf is just so funny. It's so finicky that you just don't really know what's going to happen. 
Bryson's a finicky person to begin with, with it. Like, I mean, he, he wears his emotions on his sleeve and, um, he thinks outside of the box compared to anybody else. So I would have to imagine that when he's not able to get the job done and it's not the first time he hasn't been able to get the job done. Like we've seen it before. Like, I mean, there's the epic meltdown that he has in Europe to where, I mean, he is like breaking clubs and yelling and screaming and going nuts uh, in that tournament. And then he had the whole debacle about not shaking hands after winning the tournament. And I just think Bryson's a guy that expects a lot out of himself. And when he doesn't get it, he's going to go into the lab and try to focus and, you know, do what needs to get done to, to fix whatever he thinks the problem is. So I guess for somebody like him, I'd be less concerned than I would be for, I mean, I don't want to start like picking on people right now, but like, you know, like a Xander or like a Finau or somebody who's like, like for a while, I mean, Xander just won the gold medal and maybe that changes it for him. But guys that like have a history of not getting the job done, like Bryson gets the job done. It's just been a very recent spell that he's had. So I think at some point he puts it together and he wins the tournament. And that's kind of what I like about him at 9,600, 10% ownership. The upside's through the roof. And yeah, I mean, there's some things I don't like. The around the green game hasn't been great recently. I think when you need to find fairways, um, there could be a problem with Bryson if he starts spraying it. But I kind of just trust Bryson in these spots. And as far as the other two go, like Thomas has a similar problem off off the tee. Uh, Hovland has kind of been trending in the wrong direction as late. Um, and that doesn't even include the around the green issues he has. But if you were to force me to rank these three, I'd probably be pretty equal on Hovland and DeChambeau. I really like both of them this week. Like, um, I know that we don't do a ton of like sports betting in this and it's been primarily a DFS show so far, but I probably will have an outright ticket on both Hovland and DeChambeau. Um, I know that Justin Thomas right now is a very popular choice in the industry. He's fourth in my model when I run it from an upside perspective. I don't really blame anybody from going there. I I just think that the ownership for DFS is going to run more wild as the week progresses. I think that's a reason to pivot potentially to the other two. And I think all three bring very good upside to the table. So um, I will have all three of them. I think Thomas is the one I'm going to monitor the ownership a little bit more than uh, the other two. But let's move down into this last little bit of this section here. So we have Abraham Answer at 9,400, Scotty Scheffler at 9,300, Patrick Cantley at 9,200, Daniel Berger at 9,100, and then... Your boy Hideki at 9,000. Um, I will start with this range just because I, I don't have much other I'm doing here. The two to me that are on my short list, I like Daniel Berger at 9,100. I think he's a great cash game play. Uh, third in my model, I think you can make a similar argument about Scheffler being a fine cash game play. And then the reason why I like Patrick Cantley at 9,200, I think he's a really good GPP target because of his success on bent grass greens. We've seen historically he plays better in California than the East Coast. I think the bent grass split, though, might be able to help him. And um, he would probably be, I would I would probably rank it. I mean, if you forced me to rank this section for tournament play, it would probably be Hovland, DeChambeau, Cantlay, Thomas, and then just Berger's ownership makes me more inclined to play him in cash than anything else. But as I said, Berger's third in my model. So I, I'm definitely fine playing him in cash. The two that I'm more or less out on would probably just be Answer and Hideki. The reason for that would be Hideki, this is technically a better course fit, I think, than Wyndham was. And I think that's something that I overlooked last week. Those were greens that were going to make it hard to putt. 
And yes, these are fast greens also, but it's not so heavily weighted into the putting stats. So I do think based off of that, he makes more sense. I just think 9,000 is a really expensive price tag for a guy that doesn't necessarily pay it off that frequently. And then answer, we're just, I mean, we're looking at the WGC win from him. I think that he's popular because of that. I think that now he's reached a price tag where when he was in the low 8,000s, the $7,000 range, sure. I mean, he was a great play. I think at 9,400, the upside doesn't quite equal the price tag. And I just think there's better places I'd rather go with it. He is the second here in 2019, the last time it was played. That's also going to make him popular. But I just think there's better options that I, I would rather play than those two. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely also like Cantley here. And my biggest thing, honestly, was just like all the players so far at the top of this leaderboard. I mean, they're great iron players. And so what stood out for me with Cantley is that his scrambling percentage and then his sand save percentages are so high. And I think that's just such a crucial skill to have here on this course when it's one of its biggest defenses is bunkers. Um, so that's why I really liked him. I looked at Berger and like I couldn't find anything I didn't like about him ex except for that super high ownership value already. So that's kind of something I was like looking at, keeping an eye on, but I did really like him as well. And I mean, I'm, I'm still gonna, I like, I still like Hideki. I know he's not popular and his putter gives him trouble, but like we're back on bent grass, there's smaller greens and like, he's a good iron player. He hits great approaches. And just if that putter can get hot, I think on smaller greens and greens like these, he'll feel more comfortable and be able to make some putts, but I can see why you're hesitant I still like him. I'll probably always like him. Well, I, I like based off of what you said, I do think this is more of like the prototypical Hideki design that you would expect. It's not going to be such a birdie fest. There's small greens. He's going to be able to use his irons to find success. And I think that's what you look for. I think anytime that it doesn't need to be where he needs to make 40 putts, you know, in a week to try mm -hmm. to win a tournament, that it's always going to be a better play with it. But I just worry about the price tag more so than anything. I just think that that's a hefty price tag to have to go up to. Um, that I guess would be my biggest thing. And then with Berger, if I am trying to play devil's advocate to what both of us just said and try to find something negative, I've always noticed he's better on these parse, really short par 70 tracks than he is like a lengthy par 71 or, or, or a par 72 even. But a lengthy par 71 has never historically been the best venue for him. Uh, my model really likes him. I couldn't really find anything statistically that I didn't like. I just know historically where I found problems with him. And a lot of times the upside does, doesn't quite equal what you expect it to. And same thing kind of with answer. It's one thing when it's an $8,000, $7,000 price tag. It's another when you're in the $9,000 range and you need a little bit more upside. My model does like him. It does have him as a projected value. I, I just think that there are a few more concerns than... I think people realize with him being 20% owned with it and um, I I'm fine playing him for cash. Like they're not so concerning, but you know, if he goes out and he comes in 27th place, you're not going to be overly ecstatic about, you know, paying a $9,000 price tag for a guy that kind of like, you know, maneuvers into a, you know, barely top 30 type finish. But um, let's move over into the $8,000 range then. And it's led by Webb Simpson at $8,900. I mean, Webb is no longer going to have to or get to play the Wyndham Championship this week, unfortunately. So you take that away, but I really liked Webb. I think his game's trending in the right direction. He's had three top 19s in a row. Ownership looks rather condensed. And um, as I said, he went nuclear with the irons at Sedgefield, a property that he's a top 10, pretty much as pencil him in at this point at that tournament. But it was good to see his game turn around, um, at least leading into this event. 
We have Harris English at 8,800. Uh, Paul Casey at 8,700, Patrick Reed at 8,600, and Cameron Smith at 8,500. We'll wrap up in that section before going down to the bottom. Uh, anybody you like here? Yeah, so my model really liked websites in Harris English and Paul Casey. And just if you look at where their games are trending, I mean, it, it makes sense. Um, and I guess with those three, it was kind of like, it was super hard to just distinguish between the three of them. Um, I really liked how Paul Casey's got um, phenomenal proximity ranges from like 175, 200 yards out. It's critical on this course. Um, but I just feel like with ownership percentage, it's looking pretty high. And so I just think like if I were to choose between the three, I'd probably still go with Webb Simpson just because like his game is trending in a decent position and his ownership isn't as high as the other two. And there wasn't really something that could like make one stand out from the other, at least for me. Yeah. And I would probably agree with you. I, I would rank them Webb, Casey, and English. Like I'm probably not as high on English as you are. 11th in my model for safety. That's great. Uh, 17th overall, which is, uh, I guess, a break-even value. He's 17. So there's not really a, a massive difference, but 15% ownership did put him as a negative value there with it. Um, I, I just really like Webb's ownership. I think that so many people are willing to write last week off as being, I don't want to say a fluke, but just like a course fluke where it's like, all right, it's Sedgefield. He's going to be good there and put him someplace else and let's see what happens. Like, I'm not so quick to do that. My model always likes Webb in these contests that are kind of more geared towards this. And sure, he loses a little bit of his strength with the putter. Um, I mean, I guess that would be my only concern with him. As far as Paul Casey goes, yeah, I mean, he's number one in my model in the weighted proximity categories that I ran this week. He's 19th in ball striking. He's 10th in total driving. Uh, 24th in par five birdie or better percentage. Uh, one of the biggest things that I had a problem with was it's just, he wasn't the greatest par four score 58th in, in par four average 38th in the, uh, weighted par four category. I did. Um, yeah, I mean the, the ownership percentage of 20% for a guy that doesn't necessarily win golf tournaments at $8,700 isn't great, but I mean, there was a time we could have said the same exact thing about Webb. like up until a year ago, Webb didn't win golf tournaments and he kind of seems to be regressing back into old Webb, who's not winning golf tournaments when push comes to shove with it. So, um, you know, this is a very hit and miss section for me. Like there's guys I like, um, marginally. And I think there's a lot of guys that I don't really have a, a whole lot of interest in playing. Like, um, Patrick Reed is the defending champion. If you're looking at this course from 2019. I think the recent form is better than people really think a fifth at Memorial 19th at the U S open 25th at the travelers 32nd at rocket mortgage didn't miss the cut at the open uh, 34th at the three M 31st at the WGC. That's fine. And, and I think like statistically guys like Patrick Reed and Cameron Smith are never going to grade at least statistically the way that you want them to. There's always going to be pitfalls with them, but they're great short games. I, I think Cameron Smith and Reed, I mean, they're going, if they miss greens and regulation, they're going to be able to try to salvage par with it. Uh, Adam Scott, if we do drop a little bit lower at 8,400, he's had good course history here, the times he's played it, but I mean, he's going to be one of the more popular guys in this section. And I don't love that. And it's kind of the same thing. How does he handle what he just did on Sunday? Like, I don't love that factor of it. Uh, we move lower into Corey Connors at 8,300 Connors is always a tough one for me to ignore because of his impeccable ball striking. 
Short game and putting worry me a little, but I do think he makes the cut and at an under 7% ownership, he becomes a mass entry selection that I will be diving a little deeper on as the week goes on. And Tony Finau at 8,200 is kind of somebody I like this week. I think we've reached the point with Finau where the price tag is worth the lack of win equity that he possesses. I know the recent metrics aren't ideal, but three top 35s is too much for me to ignore at a number and ownership percentage that are both substantially below the norm. And if we wrap it up, uh, we have Joaquin Neiman at 8,100. I don't have a problem with him in GPPs. And Sam Burns at 8,000. I would love to get your opinion on. I don't have much of a take on him, but uh, do you have one? Uh, my model really liked him, so I, statistically he looks solid. Um, but I, I couldn't find super positives and super negatives about him other than He's eight thousand dollars, and his ownership seems to be relatively low-ish. Um, but someone that I actually really like that you brought up was Tony Finau. So, like, my model didn't really like him, but I kind of went back and just looking, kind of thinking about just the history of him as a player. And I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just a gut feeling, but I, I like feel like he's pretty safe here, and also Thank at his you. price tag. So, I, I can't really say statistically why I feel good about him, but I do, and it's just it's odd. <laughs> I feel the same way about him. He's 16th for me overall. Um, there's, I mean, the recent stuff is obviously not going to be as good, but when we look at what he is as a player, he he's historically been one of the better around the green players in the game of golf. He's eighth for me over a two-year sample size. He's 10th over his last 24 rounds. He's 16th in that strokes gain total uh, on bent plus wind over his last 50. He's 31st on the weighted par fours. Um, sand safe percentage. I mean, it's not a massive red flag. He's 55th. I think that's something you can deal with. And then weighted proximity. He's just outside the top 25 with it. So for what he is as a player, like we know Finau at his best competes to win golf tournaments. He might not win the golf tournament, but he is putting himself in a position. And I just think when you have a guy who's $8,000 and $200, he's under 8% ownership. That's what I'm kind of trying to find when I'm looking for these mass entry contests. And I think his upside, it's no longer the version of him that's a $10,000 golfer, a $9,000 golfer. And it's like kind of what I'm trying to say with answer. Like if you price flip these two, I would be more intrigued than I would have been on answer. And I'd be less intrigued on Finau. But I just think that the recent form has made Finau in a range that is almost too difficult to ignore and then as far as Burns goes, like he was just $6,900 at the WGC. We liked him in that tournament. He came in second place. He probably should have extended the playoff there, obviously. Um, but $8,000 is just such a different price tag than what we were looking at before with it. So um, that would be my biggest deterrent of why I don't really want to play him. I mean, I, I'm kind of fine with Cameron Smith if we're just naming people. Uh, 6% ownership. I would be okay taking a shot on him. If the Patrick Reed number stays where it is, I don't mind giving him a deeper dive, but um, probably out on Burns, probably out on Scott. And then, yeah, I mean, the Simpson, Casey, Finau type range is kind of where I would like to be more exposed in the other section. But uh, if we're moving down to the $7,000 range, we are led off by Matthew Fitzpatrick at $7,900. And let's run it down to the $7,500 range. And I will say this, there's not a whole bunch I like in this section. This wasn't a, a group that jumped out to me necessarily. Terrell Hatton at 7,800 was one of the players I did really like. He's 11th in weighted tee to green for me, fourth in strokes gain around the green over his last 24 rounds, seventh in weighted proximity, including ranking third from 200 plus yards. One of the reasons why I really like Hatton 
is I think once you get down into this range, the there's a lack of win equity, at, at least compared to what we've just talked about. And I think Hatton has the skill set that if he went out and won this tournament, nobody would be surprised. I think he makes an intriguing outright bet also. But I think as a GPP play, like, yes, he's going to be popular, but I think it's understandable as to why, like his upside's just a little bit better with the metrics that he brings to the table. Um, I would love to get your opinion on Ian Poulter. If you have a, a thought one way or another, $7,700, uh, form has been brilliant. My model did not like him statistically. What did your model have him at? My model actually has him in the top 20. Um, wow. and yeah, surprising. Um, but I, I mean, looking at it, it, it kind of makes sense just the way that I weighted it. I mean, I looked at strokes gained in the last 24 rounds and he's been doing well recently. Um, but a, another reason why he kind of jumped out, why I'm thinking about him is just that low ownership percentage. And I also know like one of my old teammates, like she loved Ian Poulter. Like it was one of her favorite players. So we watched him a lot and I, I don't know, it's just like that memory of like watching him with her and her getting super excited when he does well. Um, makes me like biased towards him, I guess, in this section. Um, but actually someone I wanted to ask you about, and I'm wondering, um, is Sung J M. So he played, uh, what was he like Ted 24th last week? Something uh, like that. Yes. Uh, Sheriff 24th. Yeah. And do you think that like this price tag is okay for him or, or what do you think is going on here? Cause he's only 5% owned. I feel like he's, got good form and he's trending in a good direction. I don't think we've done a show yet where I have not recommended Sung JM. And <laughs> I don't know if I've done a show of any kind over the last like two months where I haven't recommended Sung J. Um, yeah. I mean, the 5% ownership is obviously something that I love to see. Um, he just hasn't been very, uh, not being very good as a relative term here. Like 24th last week, the 46th at the WGC 47th at the John Deere eighth at the rocket mortgage and then two 35th place finishes at the U S open in the Palmetto. I don't, wouldn't call that horrible. He's making cuts, but there has been a lack of upside. I guess the one thing I will say is that lack of upside is acceptable at a $7,800 price tag. If you get the version of him, that is what he's capable of doing. I think that that makes a lot of sense here. If we look at what he's done historically, at least over the last 24 rounds, a uh, little bit negative in strokes gain total, uh, 12 spots higher in my rankings, T to green. He's 44 spots lower off the T. So that's really what's killing him. And it's funny because Sungjae was having problems earlier in the year with his irons. He has now turned that around. He is 39 spots higher in my model there, 36 spot, spots higher around the green. It's just the off the T stuff has not been good. Over a two-year sample size, he's 17th for me. Uh, over his last 24 rounds, he's 61st. I mean, I guess the one argument I will make to that is he is fifth in total driving. He's eighth in driving accuracy. Uh, he's 12th when it comes to ball striking. Like those are stats that you want to see, I think. And I think it makes sense for a venue like this. Um, I don't have a problem with Sung Jay, I guess is what it comes down to at 5%. Like it's never going to take much to talk me into him. I think the number is relatively fair. I guess I would be more inclined well, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm fine playing him across the board in anything, but um, I kind of would rather play him as a GPP play just because I want to try to leverage that 5% ownership. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, the one note I wrote in here was, I feel like for 7,800, he's a solid pick. <laughs> that's, that's really all I wrote. And I like was going to talk about just momentum and, and good form coming in. 
But I guess also in this range, I mean, we mentioned Russell Henley just at the beginning when I asked you um, earlier just about, you know, he kind of struggled on Sunday and it was, it was rough. Um, but I mean, I said like his form's good. Um, you're you're going to like him for this course just because the short game is amazing and he can probably gain some shots around the greens and the bunkers this week. Um, so I, I mean, I still like him. I don't see anything bad about him. And then I guess if we're staying 7,500 and up, obviously Kevin Na is still there. Um, <laughs> I think he's trending in a good direction and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like just historically, whenever he seems to gain confidence, he goes like on these stretches of, of good rounds and good tournaments and stuff. And so I feel like that's kind of where he's starting to go. Um, so I was just wondering why he might be priced so well. Like, is there something I'm missing here? Um, I mean, I agree with you. I think that when he puts himself into contention, he wins golf tournaments and he keeps the momentum going for a time period. I guess the one thing that I did not like with him this week is he's 113th in strokes gain off the tee over a two-year sample size. He's 104th over his last 24 rounds. That worries me a little bit. I just worry that this course might be a little bit longer than he can handle. Um, you know, if we look at what he's done recently, obviously he has two top twos in his last three starts and maybe he keeps it going. But last time he played this venue, he came in 77th place. So, I mean, he made the cut and didn't do great on it. Um, 42nd for me overall. He's 25th from safety, which is kind of a weird thing of what I'm saying right now um, because I don't think he's generally that safe. That safety number is just more of what he's done recently than actually his course fit number from it. So um, very slight negative value for me. Um, personally, I would almost rather play Sergio Garcia or Keegan Bradley. Those are two guys that are not great putters. Um, you know, Corey Connors fits into that mold also. But guys that are really good tee to green players, and if we think putting gets negated even a little bit here, I think guys like that come into play. Um, the other name I will throw out there, Jason Kokrak at $7,700. I think he checks a lot of the statistical boxes I'm looking at. He was a $10,000 golfer last week in a much weaker field, but it still feels like an overreaction to a miscut. Uh, he's ranked inside the top 55 in every statistic I measured. Uh, ownership, I don't have a major problem at 8% ownership with it. So for me, Hatton's probably my favorite play in this upper tier section. I'm fine with Sungjae. I'm fine with Kokrak. Uh, Poulter, I, I mean, I'll go with you on this one with him being top 20 in your model. I think that that's an interesting thing. And I think the form looks really good. And even what I just when I just look at his numbers over the last 24 rounds, he becomes one of the biggest climbers for me. Like he's 38 spots higher tee to green, 30 spots higher in approach, 18 spots higher off the tee. That's not something that I put into this core model that I'm talking about right now, but it's there and it's something I can see. So I think he's at least worth a look. Um, I'm going to have a hard time going back to Henley. I agree with you. Like he's 11th for me overall. The numbers look great. This is kind of what you would want to see from him heading into a tournament, but I, that's just so hard to overcome, I'm afraid. And um, that would be my biggest thing. And then, yeah, I like Sergio at 76. And I like Keegan Bradley at 76. I mean, that's probably my favorite part in that section. If we drop it down a little bit lower, um, you know, there's not a whole ton I like in this section. I mean, I'll let you go first and I'll, I'll fill in whatever spots maybe that are different with it. But I don't have a whole ton to talk about. There's one player I do want to mention. But other than him, I mean, it's not as strong of a section as I would hope for. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> looking at this section is I definitely had more players up in the 7,500 and above than down here. But um, 
I had my model really likes Cameron Tringali. Just, I mean, he's top 20 of this field in strokes gained approach around the green and putting. Um, so just short game in general, I think makes him really strong here. Um, but I mean, outside of him, I, Brandon Grace was kind of in the middle of the pack here. Vegas was also kind of in the middle of the pack for me. Um, I, my model did not like Siwoo Kim, but I was curious to see if you had anything to say about him. Um, I mean, he's 2% owned. Like that's, I guess, like always something I'm worth, worth looking at with it, but he's a negative value across the board with the way I ran it very slightly, not, not a huge negative value. Um, I mean, 66 T to green in my way to T to green, um, Second around the green, that's something that it's at least worth diving into. He's 50th in the win plus bent grass, uh, 15th on weighted par four. I, I don't hate him. I don't love him. I, I think that when you look at the ownership percentage, he does come into play based off of that. Um, I, anytime I can get a guy that's kind of neutral in what the price tag should be and nobody's going to play them, I always view those as good spots in mass entry contests to try to take a, a just a look into. I mean, if he's going to be, you know, 2% owned, if you have 150 lineups and you play him in like, you know, eight lineups, you're already well above what the ownership percentage is supposed to be for him. And that's obviously much more of like a deep dive into this. Most people aren't making 150 lineups. And if I'm making one lineup, I probably don't get to see Woo Kim. And if I'm playing, you know, a single entry or a three max, I probably don't get to see Woo Kim. But I do think that at the ownership percentage, I at least have to consider him. Uh, for me, there'd probably be three guys that that are I'm more preferred for me as you said Cameron Tringali at 7300 metrically grades out very well he hasn't won a golf tournament ever I think that you can ignore that a little bit at the price tag uh Jonathan Vegas at 7100 is trending in the right direction he's a great ball striker and I don't really see a reason why he wouldn't turn it around and to me one of my favorite plays and I'm gonna go back to him and I feel like at this point I'm the Seamus whisperer uh, I was touting him during all the you know, good run he had. I had him at the Barbasol. I had him during all those events. And last week I said, he's one of the guys I don't like for this tournament came in 60th place. And I just think we're getting a reduction in ownership and price. It feels like a good spot to jump back into the fray on him. So, uh, Seamus isn't somebody that is so over the top. Like he's 32nd from a statistical perspective. He is 21st from an overall rank. I mean, that gives me a pretty big advantage over what the rest of the market has. Um, I guess you could make an argument for Ryan Palmer also. Um, he's at least a value for me across the board. Um, but that's probably it. I mean, I guess the one guy I would like to ask you, where do you have him at, would be Mark Leishman at 7,200. 7,200. <laughs> My model does not like him at all. <laughs> yeah, like, so all. I have him I have him 86th overall, which is terrible. Um, the one saving grace that he has for him is he is third in my weighted proximity category that I ran. So if you're looking for something that is maybe, you know, a little bit different, trying to find value in some way, maybe you can make an argument there at 1% ownership. But yeah, I mean, like I'm kind of grasping at straws here to try to get an advantage yeah. with it. But yeah, I mean, my my model put puts Leishman at 96. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I kind of briefly looked at it and, I, it, again, like I looked at it simply because of those proximity numbers. And I was like, oh, that looks really good. And then he's got great sand save percentages, but that's 
you're thinking about it, it's like, oh, he has really good sand save percentages. Maybe he's hitting it in the sandal. I don't know. So that kind of just like, that's something that's always in the back of my mind, but my model didn't like him too much. Um, but honestly, the only other person I was going to bring up was also uh, Seamus, just because like statistically he's really good. And obviously just like on the Barbasol. And then also like just knowing champions, like having played that course so often and kind of looking at Liberty National, it, it doesn't go like hand in hand, but I know that it kind of fits that core structure almost. So I kind of liked it there. Um, I was just like, huh, maybe, or maybe you're just starting to influence me on this Seamus powered train. I don't know, but <laughs> I know I liked it last week. And I was like, eh. <laughs> uh, if you talk to me enough, uh, anybody who talks to me enough, like obviously I host the better golf pod with stick picks and we run through everything from a betting perspective with it. But I feel like for a very long period of time there, I turned him into a Jason Day person. And he's off of that now. And even I'm a little bit off of that. And I'm proud of myself, which unfortunately, I didn't even get through the show without mentioning him because I just brought him up right now. <laughs> but, um, you know, I've been a little bit off of that. But Seamus has been my new guy. I feel like I was in front of him before most people were. And that's not a reason to stay on the boat. But I just think that it's a really good spot to jump back in. And I think he burned a lot of people, even though, I mean, he didn't miss the cut. I just think his around the green game, he's third in this field. Um, the off the tee stuff worries me a little bit, but eighth over his last 24 rounds in strokes gain total. I think he's kind of sort of an elite player. And I know that like people don't want to hear that about a guy that is a journeyman in his thirties at this point, because it's like, how could he be this good? I kind of think Seamus has always been a good player and it's just coming together now for him. So uh, I will take the discount I'm getting at 7,000. Like last week, he was an 8,000 something dollar golfer. Yes, much weaker field than we have this week, but um, I, I will be jumping back into the fray on Seamus. But let's wrap this up in the $6,000 range. Um, you know, we talked a little bit off the air. I know you don't have a ton of people here, but uh, any names that did stick out to you? Um, so I just people that my model kind of like so i have brian stewart at 6500 um hank Leviota at 6300 and i had him in my lineup last week and he obviously missed the cut so i'm kind of like biased towards him now i'm like oh man um but other than those two really i could not really go through this section i i was just at a loss <laughs> uh so let's start with Leviota because i think he's a good place to start this so Along the Seamus thing, uh, so in my Rotoballer article that I wrote up, uh, Lebiota and Seamus were my two biggest fades of the week. And Lebiota missed the cut. And I think that burned a lot of people. You know, this is this is a spot where you're kind of going to be able to jump back in at a price tag that if he would have been good last week, and I don't even mean like like almost win the tournament good. I just mean like good to where he made the cut. He came in the top 40. He was kind of around. I think he would have been a mid $7,000 golfer and the miscut. Now everybody wants to jump off the ship and be like, Oh, well, it doesn't make sense anymore. Uh, I think at 6,300, he is, I mean, from DraftKings perspective, he is the second biggest advantage I have on the board. Uh, my model kind of has him as a guy who should be a $7,000 golfer. So I am going to jump back in on him. I think he's one of the better plays on the board. I like Carlos Ortiz at 6,900. Irons have gained in five straight events. His usual steady around the green game has been faltering recently, but I'm willing to bet on him turning it around at the price tag. Uh, there's Maverick McNeely at 6,900. He's gained T to green in his last five starts. 
Nothing worse than a 30th in that time frame. Roger Sloan at 6,800. Sloan has been positive T to green in nine of his last 10. Three straight top 16s for him, including a playoff loss last week. I think he can keep it going. Uh, Taylor Gooch at 6,800. I think it's a good buyback spot for him, who missed the cut for the first time in eight starts last week. He's a steady player across the board and one that should do well at a venue that requires a well-rounded game. Uh, I wrote down Aaron Wise at 6,600. 10 made cuts in his last 12. Putter's been all over the map, and it's always all over the map. I mean, he's one of the worst putters on tour, but I just think the ball striking makes him worth a second look um, when I'm not overly concerned about putting as a whole. I do worry a little bit that he burns lineups and kind of just continues, you know, whatever he's been doing recently. Cause even the cuts he's made have not turned out well. Like, I mean, he's a lot of 60th place finishes to go with it. So he just may be on the wrong side of things. So I would play that one cautiously, but Ches Revy at 6,400. I don't know what happened at the Wyndham, but I think it's another similar buyback spot as the one with Gooch. Uh, you know, before last week he had gained with his irons in six straight. And despite his lack of length, he's always been a respectable off the tee player because of his accuracy. And then I wrapped it up with Luke List at 6,400, 12 of 13 positive events for List T to green uh, in his last 13 trackable starts. He's 13th in this field off the tee and sixth in driving distance. And Doug Gim at 6,200, which I can't seem to shake Doug Gim playing him. I just... 6,200, he was the biggest model differential that I had. I had him as a guy who should be a $7,000 golfer. Uh, his irons are brilliant. The putter's always a problem, but if he's sticking irons close, I think we can get a made cut out of him. I think we can get a top 40 performance. And really, I mean, at 6,200, that's kind of what I am trying to find. Um, that is probably as low as I would go. I mean, lower than 6,200, it gets brutal real fast. Like, or that should make the cut. Lahiri's the closest with it past that point. So that would wrap it up for me. I don't know if you have anybody else uh, down in that range. No, not really. I mean, I I really liked Doug Gim like last week and he missed the cut. And I mean, my model doesn't hate him, doesn't love him, but I know like he's been a solid player. Um, and then you mentioned Ches Revia as well. And I, I can't remember if I talked about him last week or not, but like my model thinks he's pretty decent too. And I think at his price tag, he's, not bad. Um, but I, I mean, I struggled with this section. It just, it got to be a lot real quick. So. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately with the way I'm going to build lineups, I, I do think that I'm going to have to be stuck in the $6,000 range and I'm kind of happy with it. Like, as I said, I didn't love the $7,000 section. Like I'm going to have Seamus. I'm going to fit in Jonathan Vegas. I'm sure. But, um, you know, I'll have Hatton in GPPs, but other than that, I mean, it's just going to be mixing and matching things. And, when I need to save salary, like I'm okay going down in the $6,000 range and playing an Ortiz, a McNeely, a Gooch, a Revy, a List, a Lebiota. Gim is more volatile. I think Gim has the potential to miss another cut. Like it, like Gim and Wise are probably the two that if you're like, if you're going to get a missed cut and you might get, the problem is we're in the $6,000 range. These guys are all very volatile. You might get a missed cut out of half of them. But I do think that the two most likely ones to burn lineups would probably be Wise and Gim. I just think that what they possess from a ball striking perspective does give them a chance to also give you a top 10, 15, 20 performance if they turn everything and, you know, put all the pieces together, which 
unfortunately, when you get down in this range, that's kind of, you're trying to find one or two things you like, and you're hoping that they put it together and whatever it is that holds them back, they, you know, are able to do somewhat that week. But, um, I think that'll be it for this tournament. Uh, we will obviously be back next week for the BMW championship. That'll be right before the tour championship. And we're going to keep things rolling on into the new season. I know a lot of shows stop, but like this show's just starting. We're going to be active with everything. So, you know, thank you for everybody who has tuned in to this show early on into the episodes that we've done. We appreciate the support from everybody. And Josephine, let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at jchang1020. And obviously you can find the both of us at be the number pod on Instagram and Twitter as well. And I just wanted to reiterate, like, thank you to everyone that's uh, tuned in so far to our show. It's, I know it's pretty new and I'm, I'm still trying to figure everything out, but um, I just think like, if you're also trying to figure it out, it's a great show to kind of join me on like my journey. Spencer obviously has been doing this for a while, but I'm starting to get into it and I'm sure I'll, keep asking Spencer some questions that might help you all out as well and get you guys into it. So hope you guys keep tuning in. Yeah. And as Josephine said, like the, the purpose of this show is always going to be for the viewer on it. Like we want to teach and you know, Josephine is obviously super sharp. I mean, it took her one week to jump into the DraftKings side of things and she's already cashing in lineups <laughs> there with it, but you know, we're trying to like teach anything. So if you ever have a question, you can write me on Twitter at T off sports you can write us on the Be The Number pod, as Josephine said. I'm always willing to answer questions. It doesn't matter what the question is. I mean, give it to me, whether it's betting, uh, DraftKings related, FanDuel related. I will give you a response. But thank you once again, everybody, for tuning into the show. We hope you enjoy it, and let's try to win some money this week.